0: hey there it's scary parish it's wednesday september 8 2021 welcome back to the cbs sports i own college basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black matt norlander is here with me and i suppose we'll start with some recruiting news from tuesday night Shaden sharp the number four prospect in the class of 2022 according to 24 seven sports has committed to Kentucky. No surprise, obviously it's been headed this way for a little while, but still it is significant news because the six foot five guard picked John Calipari's Wildcats over Kansas, Arizona, Oklahoma state and the G league. And when he did it, he became the highest rated prospect to commit to Kentucky since trivia time. Here's the question. Shaden sharp is the highest rated prospect according to 24 seven sports. To commit to Kentucky since? Nerland's Noel. That is an incorrect Wait, answer. Wait, what? That's an incorrect answer. What? According to 24 7 Sports, it's an incorrect answer.
1: Okay. Carl uh, Anthony Towns? Incorrect answer again. RJ
0: Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> it's not RJ Barrett. I'm glad you remembered him, though. Uh, then it's. Uh,
1: uh, you got me stumped here. I, I, who do we got?
0: Scow LeBissier. Oh. Oh. In 2015, he was ranked number two behind only Ben Simmons. In the class of 2015, Scal was ranked one spot ahead of Brandon Ingram, two spots ahead of Jalen Brown, eight spots ahead of Jamal Murray, 20 spots ahead of Jalen Brunson, 27 spots ahead of Donovan Mitchell, 47 spots ahead of DeJounte Murray, and 100 spots ahead of Terrence Mann. He's now playing in Israel.
1: How about that? I don't think you had him going to Israel, by the way. Don't think that was on your projection board.
0: Man, I tell you what. This morning I was on YouTube and I just I got sucked into all this. since so I'm watching some Scal NBA highlights. He was balling out in this one game. I'm sure if you'd watch, you watch this one game, you'd have never thought he'd have been in Israel in 2021. But uh, you know, it seems to be doing okay. He was the second ranked prospect in the class of 2015, and Shaden Sharp is number four again a quarter this is all according to 24 7 sports in the class of 2022 in between those two players you had bj boston ranked number five mm-hmm. in the class of 2020 you had De'Aaron fox ranked number six in the class of 2016 but this is the highest rate of prospect to commit to kentucky according to 24 7 sports since scala in 2015
1: you you hooked me you know you hooked me you knew i was going to say nirlins that was way too easy because that was out well, there heavy
0: well, I because I saw somebody, and a lot of the stuff. It doesn't mean that when I saw somebody on Twitter say the highest rated prospect since Nerlens Noel, it doesn't mean that that's not true according to some right recruiting rankings somewhere. It just means. We're in business with 24-7 sports. We focus only on 24-7 sports. So when you read the, I don't know, ESPN headline, it says, Shaden Sharp, number one player in the country, commits to Kentucky. That's not true, according to 24-7 sports, because the number one player in the country in 2022, according to 24-7 sports, that's Amari Bailey, who has committed to UCLA. His mama's thick, boy.
1: (laughs) Shaden Sharp, number two, right behind him. Really good get. Not a surprise here. It's been long projected and expected that Shaden would wind up going to play at Kentucky. He's had a huge rise actually in the past year or so to get to this point. I mean a a year ago he was uh, not even close to being projected as a top 10 overall prospect and slowly but surely or quickly but surely I should say he moved on up there. I think he will be a wonderful, wonderful college player. A year from now when we're starting to study and prep up on our top 101 players in college basketball, it's going to be very hard for me not to include Shaden Sharp in the top 10 of that list. fans, you should be plenty excited about this. We'll see where we go from here in terms of how Cal does in recruiting at the very top of it and getting Shaden Sharp. Some of it also is, it depends, you know, the fact that uh, you had um, Amani Bates reclassifying. I get all that stuff, but when Coach K re- announced that he'd be retiring after this forthcoming season, the column I wrote was that, you know, John Calipari's got a great chance at here. And not just, they've obviously continued to recruit really well, but um, We'll see if Penny can really become a true rival to this. But, you know, Kentucky has a real chance to once again be the program number one classes going forward. That's not where it's at right now with 22, uh, just because it only has two commits. A lot of this comes down to the algorithm that 247 uses and the math and all that. Kentucky is currently the eighth class in 2022, but it's behind the likes of Ohio State at one, Kansas, Duke, Carolina. Virginia has three four stars and because of that right now it's the number five class. Mus Arkansas. Hogs at six. IU is at seven and then Kentucky is at eight. Rest assured Kentucky is well on its way to having uh, absolutely a top five class and likely a top three class when we get to the end of that. So Sharp's a wonderful player out of Canada. I think he'll be a fantastic college player and uh, a good bit of news here for Kentucky this week uh, and getting him as it sets up for the season ahead without him and which they'll be a good team as well.
0: If you trust the crystal balls, it appears Kentucky's going to end up with the number one recruiting class in America. They've already got two commitments from five-star prospects, Shaden Sharp, number four in the class of 2022, Sky Clark. And that's Sky with two Y's. I mm-hmm. love that extra why. Love it. Why is it, why is it there?
1: Let's that, not even question it. Just embrace it and enjoy it because I, I sure as hell am.
0: I love it. Sky with two Ys. Sky Clark, number 11 in the class of 2022. And then the Wildcats are considered the leader for Derek Lively, a center ranked number two in 2022. Chris Livingston, a wing ranked number five in 2022. And Kasem Wallace, a combo guard ranked number 12 in 2022. If it plays out like that, and who knows if it will, but if it plays out like that, Kentucky will enroll five top 15 prospects in the same class for the first time since... I'm not even going to do it. 2013. That class was highlighted by Julius Randle, Harrison Twins. I would have gotten James this. What'd you get? You know it
1: right? why? Why? Because on the on the Kyle Boone episode, he did a little trivia time on me, and uh, and it was in this vein. But I didn't get it. But he he mentioned that very class because that class had two top five players. But damn. Yeah, it,
0: Julius Randle, Harrison Twins, James Young, Dakari Johnson. All five yeah. of them were ranked top ten in the class of 2013.
1: Yeah, and in retrospect, good class, but. I remember when I, I was after that uh pot of day with KB. I remember thinking like, yeah, we made a huge, huge deal out of that, and rightfully so. But ultimately, um, there's you know you can sometimes see why recruiting rankings in the long term, you know, not everyone's going to pan out. But if Kentucky gets that class, it will not be close. Uh, I love Shaden Sharp Plenty. Really love Derek Lively. And he has, as you mentioned, he's projected to go there. He's now the number two recruit. In the class of twenty-two, we saw him play on Jalen Duran's team with team final down in North Augusta, and a fabulous player. He is highly anticipated to go and play for Big Blue Nation next season, and Kentucky should be just continuing to roll once they get him and everyone else you listed there. But Sharp is is the big one there, and he'll be a, he'll be a one and done player, no doubt about it
0: the the people at 247 sports are awesome like they're on top of this recruiting stuff they know it better than you and i do I do have an issue with the way they handle team rankings by that point system because it doesn't always jibe with reality you know like right now I'm looking at it and for, let me state the obvious who cares Big picture, not that big of a deal. But, like, Virginia's got the fifth-ranked recruiting class right now, and Kentucky's got the eighth-ranked recruiting class right now. And Virginia's class has three uh, four-star guys. Somebody ranked 55th, 61st, and 90th. I put these two classes on the table for you, Deadleg. You can either have three players, 55, 61, and 90, or two players, number four and number 11. What are you taking?
1: I'm obviously taking... Number four and number 11. Yes. Right,
0: everybody would. Yes. And yet Virginia's class, based on the point system, is currently ranked higher than Kentucky's. Again, not a big deal. It's just something that um, I've noticed over the years that I think put me in charge. I'm not smart enough to figure out how to adjust it, but I'd hire somebody who could figure out how to adjust that.
1: I, I, yeah, I, I agree. But ultimately, just we're just picking nits, and there's nothing wrong with that. Virginia is building a nice class, but Kentucky clearly, even with only two commits right now, In my opinion, you'd rather have that, and they're going to continue to move up. Reminder, it's Wednesday, September 8th, and there's plenty more to go here, and uh, UK will surely boost on up. I wouldn't be surprised to see UCLA at 9 boost up as well. Oregon at 10, uh, the likes of Connecticut, Michigan are also in the top 15. Memphis currently has the 16th rated class, and we'll see what happens there as well. Penny Hardway obviously uh, will be poised to break into uh, the top 10 yet again, if not the top five. By the time these things start to really settle once we get to the early part of 2022.
0: You mentioned Shaden Sharp had a pretty incredible rise through the rankings. A little more specifics on that. He barely played on his high school team as a sophomore ends up changing schools and entering his junior season wasn't even considered a top 100 prospect in the class of 2022. But then he just really blossomed into a nice prospect. And, you know, now his vertical is reportedly above 40 inches at peach jam. He averaged 22.6 points, 5.8 rebounds, 2.7 assists, shot point four percent from three and I don't know if you saw this but uh the athletics Kyle Tucker talked to his grassroots coach and his grassroots coach labeled him a really athletic mix of Bradley Bill and Devin Booker so Kentucky might have just enrolled the greatest basketball player of all time yeah (laughs) that's just
1: but it's shocking to hear that his grassroots coach would go that far that's that's definitely major headline news there hey he will be a very good player but if he can be what Devin Booker was at Kentucky, then he might even be a slight letdown. Because if we remember, Booker was a good player. He did not resemble, and he wound up being a lottery pick, of course. He did not resemble the Devin Booker that we know now. But Shaden Sharp well, Because grew. he played
0: like four minutes a game. Yeah, I
1: know. That's how it goes. That's not going to happen with Mr. Sharp,
0: though. No shot. He obviously didn't play four minutes a game. But he played, how about this, fewer minutes than he should have?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, we're not going to. Are we going to second guess Cal right now?
0: Sure why? Not, oh, right? sure. Yeah. Oh, I've been yeah, doing let's, it for years. Let's do it. <laughs> no, no. I know, I've always thought with that 2015 team. Like I understand why he did the platoon thing and and everybody played like 22 minutes a game, you know, somewhere between yeah, yeah. whatever it was. Like I understood why he did it. He's so many good players that, you know, you had to at least he thought he had to play them. I will And keep in mind, they went 38 and 1. So like what are we talking about? But I've I've always thought I'd rather see the five best dudes play 28 minutes, 32 minutes a game. And then if you've got pros playing 11 minutes a game, well, then they should have gone somewhere where there weren't better pros in front of them. Gonzaga coach Mark Few was cited for suspicion of drunken driving on Labor Day. We're going to get into that story next, but first check this out.
1: The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
0: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Gonzaga Coach Mark Few was cited for a suspicion of drunken driving on Labor Day, pulled over around 8 o'clock p.m. in North Idaho, which is about... I Google Maps did 35 minutes from Spokane. He blew a 0.119 and a 0.120. The legal limit is 0.08. So uh, that'll get you a citation. Obviously, um, we need to touch on this because Mark is a future Hall of Fame coach, a man in charge of one of the best programs in the sport. He'll have the preseason number one team. So it's worth talking about. But I'm, I'm not sure how much there is to say about it. He made a bad decision. Let's state the obvious. He's apologized for it. I'm sure he's embarrassed, but despite what some have suggested... No, this is not going to cost Mark Few his job at Gonzaga. And please add to that whatever you'd like.
1: Here is Few's statement that he released uh, on Tuesday evening. Uh, I believe as a leader and role model, I'm expected to set only the best example. The decisions I made yesterday do not exemplify this standard. And for that, I sincerely apologize to you all. I recognize that operating a motor vehicle after consuming any amount of alcohol exhibits poor judgment. Regardless of the outcome of the pending investigation, I will never allow such a lapse in judgment to occur again please know that I am committed to learning from this mistake and will work to earn back your trust in me. I deeply regret disappointing any of the members of the community, the young men and women who comprise my campus community and the university as a whole. In particular, I am sorry for the hurt that I have caused to those most important to me, my family, my players, and my program. I am exceedingly grateful to those who continue to offer support to me, especially my wife and children, Thank you. End of statement there. Horrendous decision by Mark View. There's no excuse for it whatsoever. Um, getting, you know, having a few drinks and getting behind the wheel is, uh, frankly, it's worthy of a suspension. I don't know if Gonzaga's is going to go that far, but Mark View is one of the most prominent people in all of college athletics. Obviously, Gonzaga sits there near the top of the sport when it comes to most successful programs. It's probably going to be the preseason number one team, and you just can't have this. Uh, it's you know, I don't know if this is the first time he's ever done it or not, but it's certainly the first time he's had an incident like this, but just because it's the first time doesn't mean he just deserves a slap on the wrist. Um, to me, drinking and driving is uh, severely out of bounds, obviously against the law, and Gonzaga... You know, they've got a new athletic director. uh, Their longtime athletic director, Mike Roth, one of the more respected ADs in the business. He actually just retired this summer. And there should be some discipline handed down here. Um, Something beyond anything that we're going to handle this internally. I think Mark Few should actually be facing a suspension for reckless behavior, getting behind the wheel across the state line. Um, According to uh, one of the reports, he was speeding and driving erratically. And yeah, clearly put himself and the lives of others in danger. So no beating around the bush here. This is just flat out unacceptable. Mark would say that. Uh, He would admit to that. He did so much in his statement there. And... I think it would behoove Gonzaga uh, to send a message to both him and the community that we're not, just because you're a really, really successful coach, likely on his way to being inducted in the Hall of Fame one day, um, that you're going to get off without any kind of a uh, punishment there. If one of his players did the same thing, his players would be suspended. So, in my opinion, Mark should face some sort of uh, suspension heading into the season as well.
0: That's a fair assessment. Um, I saw some people on Twitter like, my God, a DUI at 8 p.m. You don't see that very often. Seems pretty clear he was at a Labor Day party. I mean, that's what this was, I right? So. I mean, th- that's how you get an, a DUI at 8 p.m. Because you're at a Labor Day party and you've been drinking in the afternoon. So it wasn't hard for me to figure out, oh, a, a DUI at 8 p.m. These are usually, you know, 1 a.m. things, not 8 p.m. things. Well, you know, it, we were in a national holiday on Monday, and I'm sure those two things um are connected. I, I won't try to make excuses for him. It's just a bad decision, you know, um, you know. When when I'm out and I have some drinks, I either Uber home or my wife. I know my wife is driving, or I know Deadleg's driving. Like that's the end of it. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm the thing about alcohol because you see this all the time. People go, well, "What was he thinking?" Well, here's the thing about alcohol: it makes you not think clearly. Like that's the whole trick. It makes you not think clearly. Like about 90% of the bad decisions I made in my life have been tied to alcohol. Sure. That, sure that's not low. It could be high. It could be low. I'm trying to think I've ever made terrible sober decisions. Uh, I mean, yes, of course I have, but, but, but more often they're tied to alcohol. So I always think it's sort of a circular question when people are like, Oh, he busted for drinking and driving. What was he thinking? Well, he was, he was drinking. He, he wasn't thinking as clearly. And then the other thing that people fall in the trap of is you assume you'll be okay. Cause like he barely was above the legal limit and the legal limit is so low. Again, I'm not rationalizing anything. I'm confident. He felt like I'll be okay. I've just had a few, whatever's I'll be fine. That, that's what goes into this. Usually you're not thinking clearly and, or you assume you'll be okay because you probably will be okay. Like, you know, the truth is statistically speaking, if you drink and drive, you probably won't get caught. You probably won't be in a wreck, but boy, if you get caught and, or if you're in a wreck, you got big problems and there's a price to pay. And now Mark is, is I'm assuming going to have to pay a price. And I think you pointed out something that is, is worth repeating that I hadn't quite thought of it in those terms yet. What would happen to a Gonzaga player if he were busted for drinking and driving uh, on labor day he would probably almost certainly face a suspension so why should the coach even the hall of fame caliber coach be held to any other standard i think that's a pretty good point that it'd be hard for anybody to intelligently refute i, I will say again whatever the punishment is it's going to stop way short of termination a guy tweeted me it's a kentucky fan that'll surprise you tweeted me and said uh quote i'm sure mark few was driving a school provided vehicle This is grounds for termination with most companies. If you were driving a company-owned vehicle um, while while under the influence. And I acknowledge that, you know, in a vacuum, that's probably true. Here's the problem with that comparison, though. Um, Gonzaga basketball is not like most companies and mark view is not like most employees i'm not saying that to be dismissive i'm just stating it as a matter of fact so i'm assuming he will face some punishment but if you were expecting him to face the same type of punishment a amazon driver would face for driving an amazon van under the influence you're just you're not living in the real world
1: No, and I'm not saying that he should be losing his job for this, uh, for this offense, but I do think it is important as a university to send a message again to to the community, to Mark, to the program and hold him to the standard that any other regular employee would be, would be held to here. And, uh, I think I, I have not spoken to Mark, but I would think that he, uh, he has realized really the error of his ways here and, uh, hopefully avoids any kind of situation like this ever again. Uh. You know, I'm sure we have listeners who have who have done this as well. Please, there to state the obvious that has been repeated ad infinitum in the past uh, near decade. We are in an era of getting a ride home being three taps on your phone away. You know, the age of Uber. And Lyft, not to mention if you happen to be somewhere with people uh, who can drive you. So please, please, please always exhibit as best you can. Prepare, plan ahead. It's never, ever, ever worth it. And uh, I'll get off my soapbox.
0: No, you're, you're right, though. And like, listen, I'm not an angel. I'd be lying if I told you at no point in my life I've never got behind the wheel of a car after having drinks. Um, I've never had a DUI. Um, I've never been arrested for anything but that doesn't mean I haven't done things that I should have been arrested for. I've been lucky, but the truth is like Uber and Lyft are game changers. Like I i am 44 years old with married with three kids. I almost never go out by myself, but on the rare occasion that I do, like I, I got to go meet somebody for, you know, an old friend for drinks or something like that. I actually just sort of put it in as a, the cost of doing business. Like I'm going out tonight, I'm going to have drinks and I don't live like I live in a suburb. So like, we're going to go out to downtown Memphis. That's going to be a $35 Uber for me, 35 there, 35 back. And I just sort of build it into the cost of doing business. It's going to cost me $70 plus whatever I spend once I'm out to go out tonight. That's the cost of doing business. And I just, you know, that's, that's, that's the way I operate now. Under normal circumstances, it would cost me X amount of dollars to go out tonight. Under these specific circumstances, it's going to cost me X amount of dollars plus seventy, and I just leave my car at home. Again, I do all sorts of other things that are wrong, but like I, I feel like I've got that one in a pretty good place now. And um, yeah, everybody would be smart, I think, to um to follow that that pattern. Before we get out of here, I want do want to touch on the Big Twelve because at some point soon, BYU, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati are expected to apply for admission and be accepted into the Big 12. So the Big 12 will once again have 12 schools, but it could be 14 temporarily if these four schools join while Texas and Oklahoma is uh, are still members. Um, what this means is that the AAC is losing two of its best basketball programs, Houston and Cincinnati, and three of its best football programs, those two plus UCF. Two questions for you. Do you like this for the Big 12? And how big of a blow is it to the American Athletic Conference?
1: Uh, very much like it for the Big 12. It probably did about as good as it could have done, but I want to get to that with you in a couple minutes here. Humongous blow. Let's let's focus on the American for a quick second here. And, and this is going to be uh, – the application process is going on this week. I talked to a couple sources about 24 hours ago. And, yeah, like the major steps that need to be taken will be taken later this week to, to, to moving this toward uh, getting done in the next couple of years where BYU, Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati all join. And, yeah, I'd actually love to see if, for a couple of years, it's a 14-team Big 12. Just to say, that, might, that might actually be pretty cool. If you're the American, this is fairly devastating because, obviously, the move is being done for football reasons. We can get into that, but we're obviously going to look at it from a basketball angle as well because, hello, that's what we talk about on this podcast there. But from the American standpoint, Cincinnati in football arguably has never been as, it's, as good as it's been in the past three or four years, right? Um, UCF. In the past decade has completely ascended, you know, two or three echelons above what it was before that. You lose those uh, programs on the football side. Houston, it's taken a little bit of a dip now, but it was good and it it could always come back. And I'm interested to talk to you about actually Houston's outlook going forward as a university, as a program, football and basketball wise. But if you're the American... This is a yikes, you are losing three significant programs, and you will have to start to consider what you can do to replace. Um, do you look at uh, a school or two that the big twelve probably looked at uh, but didn't go with like do you try and um, poach a Boise state? Do you try and really go transcontinental and say you know San Diego State in football and men's basketball in particular has has a lot of promise there i don't know it is it is a ding uh, I have certainly. Uh, championed the American as a, as a major conference in the past four or five seasons. Uh, But in losing these three programs, it's hard to, it's going to be in that it's going to be reduced from a basketball standpoint uh, down to uh, it was, I considered above the mountain West and the a 10. Now it's going to be, it's going to be demoted, I guess down to that level there. So that, that is a problem Uh, as for the big 12, Hey, how about this? How about we have 12 teams in the Big 12? <laughs> it's, 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 cra- it's such a crazy idea. It just might work. Um, how about this? If you're wondering why these four, the AP ranked the top 100 football programs of all time in 2017. Here's where they stand. 34, BYU. Houston was 48. Cincinnati was 82. And this is in 2017, UCF was 97. If you recalculated this, I think UCF would now qualify all time as a top 90 program. Uh, coincidentally, I last season ranked the greatest men's basketball programs in history. Um, I had Cincinnati at number 10, BYU at 36, Houston at 42. It would certainly get a bump up after making a final four just a few months ago. And, uh, and man, oh man, UCF did not make the list. <laughs> they were not even in consideration. Um, these four make a lot of sense. Obviously, we should talk about Memphis, Parish not getting in. Um, Basketball-wise, it's inarguable. It's, it, not only is it good enough, Memphis would be a clear-cut top-four team in the Big 12, but that's not what's happening here. And, I mean, take it kind of any way you want, because I do want to hit a, on a few different things. Um, but, you know, Memphis, to me, not getting in is the biggest headline among the schools that were left out. And... I think it ultimately comes down to two things. Football just has not been consistently historically good enough. And then seven
0: the, straight bowl games.
1: Okay. There's, there's including like, a New Year's Six bowl. There's like 43 bowl games. <laughs> so the bowl game stat, eh, And I American think American Athletic Conference champions. Okay. Well, that's, that's something. Uh, and then I don't know how no, much. No, let me,
0: because let me, let me, I'm just being like, whatever. Here's the truth Memphis historically is a terrible football program. Okay. Well you said historically it I was, I was terrible. I, terrible. Okay. Yes. Once they committed financially to the program, started throwing money at it, built an indoor facility, and making good hires, first Justin Fuente, then Mike Norvell, now Ryan Silverfield, you know, their two previous coaches are now the head coaches at Virginia Tech and Florida State. Once Memphis got a president and an athletic director who understood the value of football, of competent quality football, and they invested in it, Memphis has been um, one of the better football programs in America. Not Alabama, Ohio State. I'm, I'm not being silly here, but Memphis has been one of the better uh, programs in the A.C. Played for multiple championships, like in the title game, and won it once. And um, and they have drawn at a group of five level as well, better than most, and as well as just about anybody. Um, so I get it. Like, Houston is also a good football program in the present, or it has been in recent years. Cincinnati in the present, UCF in, you know, incredible campus in Florida, big enrollment. Humongous
1: enrollment. Yeah. Yes. yes. All
0: that. I get it. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it is crazy for the Big 12 to pick these four schools over Memphis, but I. Memphis checks a lot of boxes, including FedEx corporate sponsorship. I I can just tell you the people in Memphis were working hard to try to get involved in this. It obviously did not work. I'm not saying it's a mistake for the big 12 to not take Memphis, but um, it is devastating for Memphis to not be taken by the big 12. There is no getting around.
1: That. I would say it is devastating, but let's, I, I'll ask you this question. I will also answer it though. If you throw Memphis in, which
0: of the four do you kick out? Well, that's the problem. Like, I don't think it's obvious. Um, you know, I, I I don't I don't think it's obvious. That's why I'm not sitting here and saying it's they, they made a mistake. A, a lot of people have said they made a mistake. Mike DeCorsi, our friend from the Sporting News, has said that you know the Big Twelve is making a mistake not taking Memphis. I respect that opinion. Um, I understand it. But when you say okay, but you got to pull one of these out to put Memphis in, it's not obvious to me which one you would pull out. That's just me being on honest with you.
1: Yeah. Um, if I had to pick. I'd probably pick Cincinnati. Uh, If you made me pick one, that would probably be. But even that's not easy. I mean, Cincinnati, again, we're talking about a top 10 to 12 all-time men's basketball program in the history of the sport. The football program's doing very well, very nicely located. Um, Historically not a great football program, but you mentioned Memphis is terrible. I read off where those football programs, according to the AP, were all-time. Memphis was not in the top 100 since UCF barely cracked the top 100 since he was 82. I don't know how much media markets really matter, but I do know they matter. I mean, when decisions like this get made. There's a lot of things that get taken into consideration. Enrollment UCF will now have the largest enrollment of any Big Twelve school with the exodus of Oklahoma and Texas. Um, you know, we're talking like fifty thousand plus there uh, enrolled at, at UCF. So that's that's major. Your ability to have, and obviously Memphis has this, but um, significant donors and boosters. I'm talking billionaires connected to your program that can that can help from an infrastructure standpoint. That means a lot. Your history, um, how well you can draw eyeballs, obviously. Here are the media market rankings according to Nielsen uh, among the cities where the programs are based. Houston. Houston's the no-brainer. Number eight. Orlando, where UCF is, is number 18. BYU, which has a significant... Uh, media market number thirty in Salt Lake City. Also, the Mormon population. I've been told that that's not an insignificant thing. You know, more than five percent of the of the nation's population identifies as Mormon, and that also uh, went a long way. Also, BYU TV, which I understand a lot of people may not be familiar with, apparently is gets like. For what it is, it gets really, really good viewership, and so that was also taken into consideration. Media market-wise, Cincinnati is 37, and then there's a little bit of a drop-off. Memphis comes in nationally at number 51, and then the other school that I think would have deserved a really good look and did get a good look but didn't get it ultimately, really good program. Boise is number 102 in media market. It would have been geographically the furthest away. It didn't quite make
0: the cut there. Um, What Memphis needed, I think, is for... The Big 12 to not want BYU for whatever reason, you might not want BYU
1: uh-huh.
0: or for BYU to not want to join um, the this league in football for whatever reason, BYU wouldn't want to join this league in football. Memphis needed BYU and B- the Big 12 to be unable to reach an agreement. And then I think they might have and I emphasize the word might have might have been a better shot, but once BYU's in and you, you know, and you're cause BYU to your point is a big national brand. Like it is, it, 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 it like that it is, yes. it's, it's a big brand. So once BYU's in, you are taking three more, you can reasonably argue Memphis. I, I think over Cincinnati, but it's hard to argue Memphis over UCF and it's once you acknowledge that and and they, or on record or at least on record via sources saying we wanted football programs, quality football programs and television markets. So basketball doesn't matter once you remove, because that's what some people would say in our sport, how do you pass on Penny Hardaway, Memphis, number one recruiting class, all that stuff. Well, you're not focused on that you're focused on um, you're focused on television markets and football programs. And once you are strictly focused on that, it's hard to argue Memphis over UCF And it's hard to argue Memphis over Houston. You could try it with Cincinnati, but I, again, I, I say this as somebody who wanted badly for Memphis to be in the big 12, you get bill self coming to FedEx forum, Scott drew coming to FedEx forum. Um, you know, I, I understand why they did what they did. I, I can't call them crazy for doing it.
1: Yeah, and they're also trying to make these decisions, even though the the landscape of college sports obviously shifts. If you really look at the history of conference realignment, this is not a once every 20 to 30 years. Like, there is actually significant shifts in power conferences about once every decade here. So you're looking out every 10 to 12, maybe 15 years at most, and, and trying to project out. And, you know, there's no – even though basketball hardly factors in these decisions at all, like – they could very easily see Penny Hardaway not coaching Memphis in three or five years because maybe he gets an opportunity at the next level or whatever. So that's, that also doesn't uh, factor in uh, hardly whatsoever all time from a basketball perspective here, since this is a basketball podcast, um, you know, Houston's got six uh, final four runs, including their coming off one. I mean, Kelvin Sampson has uh, done a great job there and it's lined up for Kellen, his son to take over whenever Kelvin steps down, which I would think will be in the next two to four seasons. Um, Man, that they, you put. I, I love this fit for Houston. Houston in the Big 12, in that city, I think from a men's basketball standpoint and a football standpoint, Parrish, you want to talk about one of the schools that can stand to benefit the most. Like a decade ago, Houston's facilities were trash. You've got uh, Tillman Fertitta, who was willing to basically invest anything and everything, uh, billionaire, into that athletic department, already has, will continue to do so. We could, I could easily see a situation in five years where we look up in Houston, in men's basketball and in football, it's like consistently, just about every single year, top 25 level, because that city, first of all, I think it goes New York, L.A., Chicago, Houston, four biggest cities in the country, overloaded with talent in both of those sports. And Houston had been blocked in the past, I'd been told, Uh, because of, obviously, the concerns about the Texas schools and all that. I get that. But now this just makes so much sense for Houston to join. I think that's huge. And then i got to give props to Cincinnati, because there has never been a school like them in terms of the long-term success, particularly in basketball, despite switching allegiances so often. Get this, GP. This is what Cincinnati has done since the mid-'50s. Independent, Mac- independent Missouri Valley, independent Metro.
0: Respect. I was raised on the Metro. You were raised
1: on the Metro. They did four years in the Great Midwest Conference. Don't think you were raised on that. Conference USA, Big East, the American, and now the Big 12. And Cincinnati, has a from a men's basketball standpoint, it really has never, ever fallen off. And when you are switching leagues that often, uh, it would be understandable if that was not the case there, but that hasn't been it. They, they it has been able to continually adapt and adjust. Now in the in the here and now, they just hired Wes Miller. They're coming off uh, certainly a, a bumpy couple of years with John Brandon but. Um, but Cincinnati's just path. I don't think there's another school like it. That many different leagues, and being nationally relevant for most, obviously this is a program that won the title in 61 and 62, made Final Fours across it, so that's great. And then you mentioned the BYU stuff. I mean, historically, from a men's basketball standpoint, I've got it ahead of schools like Iowa, Virginia, Xavier, Tennessee, Alabama. When you look at it, its tournament appearances, wins, weeks ranked, all that good stuff, pros, it's actually a very, very good – it's just never made a Final Four. It has more tournament appearances than any program ever without a Final Four appearance, uh, but that could easily change. That Marriott Center, I've never been – have you ever been to the Marriott Center? I have. I've heard, I, I've heard the facility is incredible. They pack it, in, obviously, in normal times, and really rates as one of the like top 15 to 20 at worst – home court advantages in all of college basketball there. So you easily understand. I, I, got, I got to say, bottom line, Parrish, is when we learned that Oklahoma and Texas would be leaving, we talked about it on the podcast, and we, I still don't like it at all. I I, I, I don't like the idea of them going to the SEC, but whatever. The ship's going to sail. The Big 12, if 12 was going to be the goal, which I think is perfect, I do like that size for a league. 12 teams just, it sounds, looks, feels right this is a, as good as you could do. Like the big 12 in doing this, I think in both football and basketball has maintained a level of legitimacy that was necessary to keep it relevant and uh, an important voice on the football side with for, forthcoming college football playoff expansion. And then in men's basketball, I mean, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get here, GP, but come on now top two league in men's basketball every single year, like eight years running you bring in these programs, even you lose Oklahoma and Texas, but if you bring in BYU, we know what they can do. Mark Pope's a really, really good coach. Um, UCF has made tournaments, really good coach. Houston, we know what they've done, and then Cincinnati, we'll see what they can do with Wes Miller. I think the Big 12 still has a very good chance, a very good chance at, at keeping that top two status going forward in men's soups, and that's no small thing either.
0: You know, this actually played out the way – I mean, if you go back and listen to previous podcast, uh, we thought it was going to play out. You know, the Big 12 said we want to stick together, but that was never true. They didn't want to. Kansas would kill to go to the Big 10. West Virginia would kill to go to the ACC. Texas Tech and would have loved to have gone to the Pac-12 the truth is the other power five conferences decided we don't want any of these remaining eight schools. They're not worth it to us. They don't add enough value. So don't ever get it twisted. The big 12 did not stick together. The big 12 got stuck together. They had no choice. And there was that wild quote from Bob Bowlesby, the big 12 commissioner to Dennis Dodd, our colleague, where he was like, I think the AAC is coming after us. And it just never made any sense because they can't. No, no. The eight Big Twelve schools wanted to move up, not down. And so the 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 most likely scenario was never the AAC coming and taking Kansas and Baylor and West Virginia or whatever. It was always the remaining eight schools in the Big Twelve being stuck together and then grabbing AAC schools or Mountain West schools or BYU or whatever. And so that's exactly what they've done. But to your point, listen, football—it's a clear downgrade. You lose Texas, Oklahoma. Th- there's no way to make up for that. Those are two of the biggest brands in the sport. But from a basketball perspective, you know, I, I, listen, I, I, I don't get it mixed up. I think the pro, the old Big Twelve, which is the current Big Twelve, is going to be better in basketball than the future Big Twelve. But I don't think the drop off is drastic. You know, Texas and Oklahoma are, I think Texas is about to be a monster in men's basketball. Oklahoma is a historically very good program, but is Oklahoma historically a better program than Cincinnati? You tell me. Not necessarily.
1: No, it's not. It's definitely right. okay. not. okay,
0: so yeah. like, well, you know, the boom, we just covered that, and then you know, Houston, in recent years at least, under Kelvin, mm-hmm. and that, that, that might just be a Kelvin thing. Like, mm-hmm. as long as you got, so like, a little bit but maybe, it, but when you, but, when you but, combine. but they have invested now, they've invested now. clearly. Yeah. Right. But like, and, and, you know, again, we should make it clear. Basketball is not a priority here, but we saw the big East take Butler primarily because of what Brad Stevens did and the AAC take Wichita state primarily because of what Greg Marshall did. And so we've seen, you know, schools move up in leagues based on what they're, incredible coach has done to elevate the program before and houston is is a pretty good current example of something similar houston had incredible history in the 80s and then the program just disappeared for a long time they hired kelvin wisely they invested and in recent years at least houston's been a better basketball program than than texas in recent years i don't think houston is if you told me I could have Houston basketball for the next 20 years or Texas basketball for the next 20 years, not even a question. Give me Texas. But currently, or, or at least over the past few years, Houston has been as good, if not better, than Texas. So basketball, yes, it's a drop-off, but it's not that significant. To your point, I think it can still remain one of the top two, three, certainly four or five basketball leagues in the country. And um, they, they've done a, they've done the best they I think they could possibly do you know we can quibble over which schools they should have taken, but based on where they found themselves, abruptly found themselves in this awful situation, they've done I think about as good as they could do to hold it together.
1: Yeah, I like the I like this idea of 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 Kansas going playing roadies, Houston, BYU even like a Cincinnati, you know, if Scott Drew's going to be a Baylor for another decade and Baylor's top 10 team in many seasons, like a Baylor BYU game, um, the, uh, the lack of ge- geographic cohesiveness doesn't bother me whatsoever. I'm um, not nearly as hung up on that now as I was probably a decade ago and a uh, great job, great job by the, uh, by the big 12 well, here.
0: Well, on that point real quick, you mentioned on the AAC, um, like do you go Boise state? Do you go San Diego state? Would you let geography be, a factor. Because here's the truth with the AAC. Right now they got a school based in Tampa, they got a school based in Philadelphia, they got a school based in Tulsa.
1: Yeah, and Dallas, you're pretty, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, you're, you're pretty spread out anyway. Yeah. So like, could you go further west? Could you go all the way to San Diego? I remember talking to a let's just say west coast based coach once upon a time, and he was like, "People make such a big deal out of geography." He said, like, you know, once you've got to get on a plane, like y- y- it's a charter usually, and you know everybody is comfortable traveling halfway across the country. Well, the other ha- the other half of was another two hours on a plane. Like you're already on the plane, what is another two hours to get wherever you're going? He was just like, it sounds like. Well, how could you go from here to there? But the truth is, once you once you set foot on the plane, going another two hours or two and a half hours is it's just not that big of a deal.
1: I would, I would disagree. Flying to, uh, flying to Memphis versus flying from like flying New York to Memphis versus like flying New York to San Fran. It's a long flight. It's a long, just gotta
0: flight. Get one, all you gotta do is get one more movie.
1: <laughs> one more movie. Huh? I know. I just hear what you, you're saying. I actually you think
0: you gotta, you gotta, you, you to listen to Donda one more time. I, you'll yeah. be there. I
1: haven't, haven't, that hasn't found its way to my ears just yet. Um, I think the reason why there's hesitation on this isn't necessarily just the geography is you do it mostly for football and a little for basketball. And then it is a money loser for every other sport to send all these schools. People aren't going to these games, you know, men's soccer, women's volleyball, the whole deal. And that's where it can get, uh, when you're an AD or a school president, and then you got to look at the balance sheet and say, listen, we're going to do this how much are we going to make in the, in the revenue sport or sports? And then how much are we going to lose by having to send all of our other teams there? And I think that can be sometimes what holds them up. But if I'm the American, I am looking around and I'm yes, I'm going after San Diego state and I'm going after Boise and I'm trying to get every single conceivable, you know, two or three teams uh, to join the league, to keep it as strong as possible. Um, because you, you want to be the best of the group of five still. And it's probably still is that, to a certain extent. But, you know, don't forget about the fact that when you make the tournament, the men's tournament, and the more teams you send, the more units you can make, that's serious money. That's, that is big-time money as well. And so you need to keep your men's basketball and, and really women's basketball as good as it possibly can be to improve your chances at getting teams into the tournament and then making money if they can win once they're there. So I think that part of it's important as well. And that's why particularly like a San Diego State, which I still think is very viable, uh, would be a a school I would
0: target. Yeah, like I'm with you. Like, I I don't know that I would let geography matter to me too much. I just go to, to let's try to find let's do exactly what the Big 12 did. You know, with with geography being way low on the totem pole of things that matter, let's do what the Big Twelve just did. Let's go try to find four, or you know, two, two, three, four, whatever the number is, um, programs that that enhance our conference, focused on football and television. Markets, and you're exactly right about the non-revenue sports, man. It becomes like you suddenly got to take the US USF volleyball team to San Diego. Right. You got big problem, but there's got to be a way around that. Like, you know, can you say <laughs> in the non-revenue sports we're gonna we're gonna have uh, uh, divisions that are more geographically sensible so that we're not putting. I shouldn't just, you know, say volleyball teams. Cause that like men's soccer teams as well. Yes. I'm not talking about yes. just male, female, like, you know, like anything that doesn't make money. Can we make their schedules a little more geographically sensible? And can we make their non-league schedules a little more geographically sensible? Like, I can't tell you how many times I I'll be in Atlanta connected on a flight and I'll see like, I'm just making something up I here, know, but yeah. it's like, uh, the, the, Charlotte golf team. I was like, "Why is the Charlotte golf team getting getting on a plane to go?" You know, I'm not. I'm not anti golf. They should
1: be bussing everywhere. The Charlotte <laughs> yeah. golf team. Yeah. Just like
0: yeah. you know, just play and play.
1: These people don't you know, deserve to fly. Yeah, play
0: Davidson. Go play the Davidson golf team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what do we do? What do we? do? No, but I whatever. I'll let. How about this? I'll let the conference commissioners and the athletic directors it's, figure it's, that out.
1: It actually is. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's a it is a, a thorny issue. Uh, all right, I want to wrap the pod. There's a a few injury. Th- Items, notes here, just to inform you on, uh, because they're all players that matter. Uh, Tuesday brought about, um, really, a a three-pronged piece of uh, bad news here. So, Seth Towns, who is at Ohio State, former Harvard player, uh, has been as injury-plagued as, I think, any player in the sport, or at least at a power conference level. He had back surgery... Um, and will be out three to four months, but Ohio State in a release on Tuesday kind of buried it amongst uh, a few other items. Uh, said it should return this season. So Seth Towns isn't wasn't expected to be a top three player, but certainly a top five, six player on that roster. Don't have any other details, but a target for return for January for Seth Towns for an Ohio State team that will be ranked in the preseason. Alabama's Namari Burnett, He was a 2020 McDonald's All-American, played at Texas Tech last season. He is out for the season. Alabama announced this actually on Wednesday before we did the pod. Um, It's been reported that it was an ACL, but it's going to keep him out for the entirety of the season. He had surgery, uh, and it it was successful. Love to hear it for uh, the 347,214th time an athlete has undergone successful surgery, GP. So That's thankfully, awful. thankfully. Uh, but it is a bummer. He played uh, 12 games at Texas Tech last season um, 5.3 points, 1.8 re- rebounds. He was going to be, you know, option five or six probably for the tide the season but he's not going to play um this is coming on the heels a couple months ago actually james rojas and off the bench wing for bama he tore his acl he is expected to return at some point alabama's actually got a pretty good non-conference schedule potential top 10 team but they now are they're down to 11 scholarship players heading into the season and then alan flanagan the third piece of injury news uh he's been projected uh as you know to be a potential first round pick for next season had 14 fourth Three points last season for Bruce Pearl. He will be out 12 to 14 weeks due to a right Achilles injury. Uh, Had surgery last week. So a couple of SEC teams and then Ohio State. All losing important players. Flanagan the best of the bunch there. But unusual, certainly... This time of year, we don't even have, I mean, practices aren't even full go here for a few more weeks. We're just doing workout stuff. So a bit of a bummer because uh, all three of those teams are also relevant. Bama, Final Four contender. Ohio State, Column fringe Final Four contender. And then Auburn will be much better than it was last season. They all take a little bit of an injury
0: hit. I feel like if Chris Holtman is able to take this thing to a pretty good place in the absence of set-downs, he might finally get the credit that he deserves. Uh,
1: we can only hope. We'll do our best to, to try and do that. But it just it, it's never talked about enough, just how good of a coach Chris Holman is.
0: Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Mario Kegler, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Ion College basketball podcast. In the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my life, boy. Woo! It has gotten so dumb out there, dead leg. It's become. I'm comfortable saying this. It's become the dumbest pandemic of anybody's lifetime history of the planet. I got tear gassed two Sundays ago because of a protest tied to COVID-19 vaccinations in Athens, Greece. I was tear gassed. Let me be clear. I wasn't protesting vaccines. (laughs) Are we sure? (laughs) I was not, I was trying to have dinner on the balcony overlooking parliament. I I wasn't protest. I'll never protest vaccines. I'm, I'm go. I'm ready to go get a booster shot. Like I'm, I'm 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 the most pro-vaccine person on the planet. I feel like everybody should get seven different vaccine shots, uh, but seven thousand people in Athens, Greece, protesting mandatory vaccines for healthcare workers. I thought I could leave the United States and get get away from all the anti-vaxxers. <laughs> I flew halfway around the world and ran right into them. Right what? into them. Got tear
1: gas just hovering over your feta. That's a problem. Not what? good, dude. Tear gas
0: hurts. So, you're up on this balcony overlooking King George Hotel, Tudor Hall Restaurant, seventh floor. Got a table on the balcony, open windows. It's beautiful. What's in we the distance? In,
1: What's in the distance?
0: Look off to the left, there's Parliament. Look off to the right, there's Acropolis. There we go. Beautiful. And so um, we walk into the apartment, uh, the uh, apartment, the restaurant, uh, eight o'clock reservation. And um, I, I noticed like there's some commotion, like everybody's looking out over the balcony. Like like if if somebody said, "Oh my God, Paul McCartney's playing a concert outside," and everybody yeah. walks over to look, like that's what it looked like, and they were all like hovering over our table because our table was like right next to the window, and I'm like, "Well, that's kind of weird." Like, I wish these, I don't, I don't understand. Maybe I don't understand Greek culture, but it seems uh, inappropriate to be standing.
1: In, You're trying in to eat your feta, yeah,
0: standing standing in the way of my table. As we get closer, we realize there's like some chanting outside and it's an obvious protest. I don't know what they're protesting. If you would have asked me in that moment, it would have never occurred to me that it was vaccines. I didn't I didn't know we were doing this all over the world, but turns out we are. And so I uh, I, I say, hey, what, what is going on out there? And by the time I realize what's going on out there, it's starting to get chaotic. And then you start hearing boom boom, boom. And I'm like, is that a rocket launcher or tear gas? I don't have any idea. I never hear these things. And so it's clearly tear gas, at which point they start trying to shut the windows. Now, my exchange student, Diana, who lived with us about 10 years ago, 11 years ago from Germany, her and her boyfriend, Philip, they uh, flew to Athens to meet with us and they were standing at a different hotel. So they were coming to meet us for dinner. They're walking from their hotel to our hotel and they get caught right in the middle of it. And they're like really scared because it's getting wild out there. Not to mention they can't see. Their eyes are burning. It's terrible. So um, I, I call her. I'm like, are you, are you first? Are you okay? She said, we're okay, but this is wild. I've never been a part of anything like this. And uh, I said, okay, just keep coming to the hotel. Get here as safely and as quickly as you can. I'll meet you at the front door. I go down. They've got the front door sealed. And I'm talking to the guy at the front door. I said, "I said, hey, man, uh, I, I technically lied, but I was doing the best I could. My daughter? I said, my, I said, my daughter and yeah. her boyfriend – are walking here right now. We've got to, I got to get them inside. And he said, so we can't open this door. It, the, it's flooded with tear gas. We can't have our hotel filled with tear gas. We can't open the store. I said, brother, what you like, you, you got to help me. Like what, what I can't leave. Okay. I understand what you're saying, but I can't leave them out there. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he said, text them, call them, tell them to meet you at the back door. I said, where's the back door? He said, opposite of the front door. Just tell, tell me to go to the back door? <laughs> I said, I got you. And he said, uh, and I caught her. I said, walk to the back door. She's like, where's the back door? I said, opposite opposite of the front front door. door. (laughs) I used used my guy's line. I said, opposite of the front door. Like, just uh, 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 get a visual of the front door and then walk opposite direction, other side of the building, and uh, we'll meet you there. And my guy, nicest man in the world, he, uh, he walked me through a bunch of places normal people aren't supposed to be. And we arrived at the back door, and I opened the door, and boom, immediately, it was, like, painful. The, on the other side of the building, the tear gas was so heavy even there that I couldn't see. My eyes were burning, blurry tears, the whole deal. They arrived very quickly, pulled them inside. We go back upstairs, and the nice staff at the restaurant was passing around lemons because they said it helps with tear gas. They're so familiar with tear gas that they know that you need to put lemons on your eyes okay. to avoid the problem. So
1: at the, at this point when your daughter is getting let into the building you're aware of the fact that there's a protest against vaccine mandates happening right
0: i'm aware that there's a protest i don't know what it is oh and then so I went when
1: out. so when you open the back door you don't know
0: i still don't know oh, okay because I, I was hoping I, I, that
1: you did know and you opened the door and then your eyes began to melt and you thought no this really is the dumbest pandemic <laughs> of my lifetime <laughs> like what yeah, is happening what to me that, right now
0: how i found out is i went Uh, We got back to the table and they closed all the windows on the balcony. You know, so um, our fresh open air dinner is now not that at all. And I, you know, I honestly I get on Twitter and I type in Athens protest and I just start seeing what pops up. And it's clearly they're protesting uh, that mandatory vaccines for healthcare workers. And, uh, like, you know, you can Google this. It was like, there's still, you know, there's stories it's like it's a real seven Reuters. All that yeah. Stuff. Reuters is I think the one I saw 7,000 protesters and they were fired up, man, they were fired up. So we have big anti-vax problems in this country and especially in my part of the country. But if you think this is unique to us, it's just not like, this is this, this type of nonsense is happening all over, all over the world. Other than
1: that was the was the Greece vacation good?
0: Other than that it was amazing. Santorini was unlike anything I've ever seen. Like actually the most beautiful place I've ever yeah. sp- spent time. It doesn't even look like a real like you walk you walk at your front door of your room and you look and you go looks so like a postcard this doesn't even look like it's real like are we sure this is real and then the only thing we hit we made the best out of it you know lemons lemonade type of thing is we were supposed to be home late sunday night leave athens because we went to athens and santorini then back to athens oh they were filming jack ryan in athens there we go john krasinski was staying at my hotel there we go. Nice. I never saw, I never saw him, but um a uh, a gentleman reached out to me who's an assistant director on the film. I was like, "Hey, we're we're in Athens, we're we're, we're filming Jack Ryan and um, you know, we're staying we're you know we're staying at your hotel like the the, the well we first did the king george then we stayed at the hotel britannia i think it's called and that's where uh everybody from the jack ryan crew was staying so uh that was cool you know we like you'd be at breakfast and they'd be talking about the script at the table next to you type of deal so um so we went to athens and centurini then back to athens and then we were supposed to fly from athens to amsterdam make a connection to atlanta atlanta to memphis be home late sunday night we left athens late wasn't my fault maintenance issue mm-hmm. Before we even landed, oh, oh, trust me, my wife tried to blame it on me. I, I, I said, oh, you think I'm responsible for the maintenance?" This happened issues? when we
1: when I went to Rome and we left after our honeymoon. Amazing trip, but like we get to the airport and it was. <sighs> Now, we were waiting like seven hours in Rome, so that's just Ooh. yeah, that's just. Eventually, we got on the plane, but it was a long, long wait. Only difference here is we didn't have to wear masks back then. You're at the airport, and but you oh, yeah. you you bailed out and actually got a hotel room and did the night in Amsterdam. Then,
0: well, yeah, it was about. Yeah. So we were we were, we were supposed to depart Amsterdam at five p.m. We didn't even land in Amsterdam until four forty-five p.m. because of maintenance issues in Athens. Again, not my fault and they rebooked us on the exact same flight the next day 5 p.m on monday and so they were like i was like really that's like there's nothing sooner there was like there's a flight to jfk i said cool we'll take it and they were like but it leaves in 30 minutes and you might have a middle seat and i was like i'm not doing that i'm not flying nine hours in a middle seat that we might not even make the flight anyway so let's move on and they were like okay your next best bet is i think there was like very early in the morning and I was like, no, no okay. i not doing that. No, I was okay. like, you know what? Let's just take this Yeah, Now part.
1: you're really, you're painting a clear picture here. Okay.
0: Well, it was like, okay, we're going to go into the center of the city and get a hotel. And then we're going to get up at 4 a.m. to come back to the airport. That's just miserable. Like, that's no, I'm not doing that. Like, I don't want to be uncomfortable for nine hours. And so I said, okay, we'll just take the 5 p.m. tomorrow. And so we just took a car in the city, you know, got a nice hotel, went to a nice dinner, Stayed the night in Amsterdam, woke up the next morning, you know, walked around the city, had a nice lunch in the square and then got on a plane and flew home. So the only bad thing and like I said, the worst thing that happened is my mother, bless her heart, had to spend an extra 24 hours with the kids. And uh, we got home late Monday instead of late Sunday. Uh, You know, we got to spend an incredible night and early morning in Amsterdam. Like it was all fine. But. There's a big difference between getting home late Sunday night with a holiday the next day as opposed to getting home late Monday night and the kids got to be back in school. So we got home, like, walked in the house around midnight after traveling for, like, 16 straight hours and then had to get up, you know, 6.30 to get the kids off to school. Then I had to do Time to Shine. Then I had to do a radio show. And here we are. Yeah, problems are minor problems. I acknowledge. They're all top-shelf problems, but uh, I was sleepy yesterday. I feel good today, before,
1: though. Before we wrap, something that ties back to what you and I did earlier this summer. So I went to uh, Chicago over the weekend for a, for a buddy's wedding, and it was awesome time. Went to the Cubs game. Phenomenal. Three grand slams in one game. Tied a major league record. Cubbies won 11-8. I didn't even
0: know the Cubs still have players. They,
1: they, they got players. They won seven of their past eight. How's that Javi Baez thing working out for you, by the way?
0: He's good sometimes. Not ideal. He's not sometimes. Not ideal. He's he's good sometimes and he's not sometimes.
1: Uh, You know, smack talk and the Mets fans. Amazing stuff. And then, you know, what, batting batting like two fourteen.
0: Last night, Albert Pujols homered for the Dodgers against the Cardinals in Bush Stadium and got a standing ovation. And I'm like, the Cardinals are in a wild card race. And they're standing ovation, the opposing player hitting a home run. And I get it; it's Albert Pujols. Like he'll yeah, have a statue yeah, someday. Yeah. I get it. But like you contrast that with the Cardinals are cheering the other team's players, and the Mets fans are booing the Mets. It's
1: amazing; great stuff. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, Chicago was a was a grand old time there. And then uh, back at at Peach Jam, remember I had that I idiotically booked an early flight. I can't even remember how early. But you're like you're like listen, you can. Book the Uber ahead of time, but it's it's Augusta, right? So I I did it, and the plan was if I didn't, if the Uber didn't show, I was gonna have to wake you up, car. take yeah, your rental car. car, and then you were gonna Uber. But we never did that. We never did it.
0: Did it work? The scheduled Uber did it work for you? It worked.
1: It, it worked, and they were there on time. Fast forward this this past weekend, and travel snafus. So idiotically, I book a flight out of O'Hare that boards at 7:15 a.m. So I asked like I asked the people that that were at the wedding. I was like, "Listen, here's the deal. I got to fly out Monday. It's Labor Day, so I don't know if that's going to be less busy, more busy. What time do I need to leave my hotel on the West Loop to get there?" They're like, "Be out of there at 5:30 to be safe." So I'm like, "All right, fine." GP. I book the Uber the night before. Pick me up at 5:30. In Augusta, it was the, it's, the driver. She was like five minutes early. Chicago, he's thirty minutes late. Oh no! It's Chicago, right? Thirty minutes late. Now here's the thing: I get there, he's like, "We're gonna get there. You'll still have time." O'Hare is just disaster-packed, and I'm I'm like three people from going through um, the uh, the detector. Text alert: Your flight's been delayed two hours. Oh, no. It's just the like. Of course, I couldn't get the text. You know, it was it was a mechanical thing. Wasn't my fault. <laughs> was not my fault. Wound up getting home okay, but it's like it's that early, early flight, and you think like it's the it's the first flight. There should be no delay. But certainly, that was not the case. So then I,
0: I I reached a point. Like sometimes early flights are necessary. There's no way around them. You know, you got to be back home by a certain yeah. time, and whatever. which is
1: what I had to do. Yes, yes. Yeah
0: unless they're necessary, I don't take them. I wanna have a good night's sleep and then get on the plane and have an enjoyable plane ride as opposed to be exhausted, and get on the plane and just feel like hell. I So when we left Memphis for, like we left at 11 a.m. And when we left Athens for Santorini, we left at noon. And we left Santorini for Athens to go back, we left at four. Yeah. I, I, it's all afternoon stuff that's the that's the that's the way to do it if you can do it that way
1: well it's great to uh to be chatting again everyone i hope you enjoyed our past 10 minutes of travel <laughs> what's been happening lately didn't even get into meeting dave matthews but that's all right that'll be a story for uh for another time there but great to be back in the swing and this is as i mentioned last week on the pod with kb like september is weird like it is a very slow month in college basketball, but. News will still be coming, and we'll still be here with you. And then, you know, October's going to ramp up, and we'll have plenty of uh, preseason content. But, uh, but yes, it's been uh, it's been a little bit of a, a skittish past month or so. But we're, we're creeping back toward the season slowly but surely.
0: Thank you, guys and gals, for listening once again to the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. It really does help, so go subscribe, rate it, review it, and we're going to talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.